Hey, this episode is brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. What are you sending your agents out in the field with? You know, the days of just giving them the business card and, you know, hey, say hello and shake their hand. Those days are over. It's time to give them some real marketing materials. How do you do that in a way that's cost effective? Well, when you use instantquotetool.com, we create custom proposal templates where we dynamically add all the savings information, but we also put in their marketing slicks for the hardware and software that you're selling so you can have a custom branded marketing solution that can be printed or emailed to the merchant. Hey everybody, I'm here today with Mark Beauchamp, the CEO of Serve Credit. How you doing there, Mark? I'm doing great. Great to be here. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time. And uh, so, Mark, I thought maybe a good way to start us off, uh, you know, you have a very uh, long and distinguished, you know, kind of career or path here in the merchant services industry, but maybe you could take us back. I mean, what were you doing before this? How did you end up in this industry? And kind of give us that backstory of, of how you got to where you're at now. Sure, I'd love to. Uh so before I get into the merchant side, I'll give you a little bit, bit of background about what I did prior to that, and then we can talk about uh, what we're doing today with sure. the consumer finance market. But uh, So I started back in 1995, and prior to that, I was in the Marine Corps, and after I get got discharged, I was like 21 years old, really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I uh, enrolled in college, and I became a credit manager at nights to work myself through school. Uh, and eventually, I went full-time after I got out of college to work for that credit business and that company. Uh, they relocated me. We were bought in a merger, and I got relocated out to Arizona. And after I had worked really hard to get them transitioned over, I was laid off along with all the other managers that were part of the takeover. And the, <laughs> nice. the reason I mention this, yeah, it's never, never good, but... Uh, the reason I mention this is because that was really one of the first major distinctions I had made early in my career, and it, it might resonate with some of the people listening to the podcast today, but I, I really realized that there was a big difference between working for someone else and working for myself. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, and that kind of just got me started on the path. You know, I really wanted to have an opportunity where I could be in control of my destiny, uh, I didn't want somebody else to be responsible for my livelihood and my success. So after that layoff and that experience, I was kind of dis disillusioned, and I, I wanted to really get involved in an opportunity where I could make the kind of money that I wanted to make, and I could, you know, kind of chart my own success. So that's what was my first step into uh, sales. And over the years, I sold a lot of different systems like payroll and resume tracking and computer networking and hardware technology and uh, after a few years of that, I found myself back in the finance business, and I uh, was a general manager at 30 years old. I was one of the youngest managers in the company, and I made my second distinction that, that really uh, was a guidepost for me for making decisions down the road about my career, and that second distinction was at that time in my life, I was trading time for money, and I was working you know, six days a week, making making more money than I had ever made at 30 years old, but I... I had no time with my my family. I had no time right. with my wife, my children. And uh, one day, a gentleman came by the office who happened to be a friend of my father's, and he was talking about, oh, this great business he was in, and uh, didn't have to work nights, didn't have to work weekends, and he was making making really good money. And it turns out, guess what? He was selling uh, merchant <laughs> services, right? Sure. Uh, and back in those days, we were leasing terminals, so there were some good upfront uh, right. 
right. uh, money and commission commission potential. So uh, I had lunch with him. I went out and rode with him for a day. Just fell in love with the business. You know, I really liked it. I liked mm-hmm. everything about it. I liked speaking to business owners. Uh, and within two weeks, I left that job that I was making, you know, six figures at and uh, turned in my notice. And uh, my wife was four months pregnant. She thought I was absolutely crazy. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I bet. <laughs> along with her family. Like, what are you doing? You're quitting this great job and uh, for, for something <laughs> that you don't even know that much about. But uh, to make a long story short, I started that business at my kitchen table. And in that first year, I built that built that little company to about 10 sales reps. I brought a lot of the guys over that worked with me in the prior business. And I had a sure. couple employees doing about you know, 30 or 40 deals a month. The next year I grew it to about 60 or 80 deals a month. And before you know it, I was made an offer to sell. And this was part of a potential public offering for me. And I took over the national sales for that company. And I ran an outside group of about 80 sales reps and 20 to 25 telemarketers. And we were, we were producing three to 400 uh, new merchant activations a month. So, so that's kind of where I got up to that point. And then fast forward to 03, and that's where a lot of the guys maybe or, or, or ladies listening to the call might recognize my book, How to Survive and Thrive in the Merchant Services Industry. And, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, bank Card I Boot wrote Camp. that back in 03. Yep, Bank Card Boot Camp, and, you know, created that training. And then for the last 15 years or so, you know, I've been working with ISAs and agents, just helping them grow their business and, and putting together distribution next networks for them. And you know, part of that process, and James, I'm sure you'll appreciate this, but, you know, what ISOs and agents are always looking for something new or they're looking for something that can distinguish themselves right. from the competition. And that's kind of how I got into the consumer finance business. So about five years ago, uh, we started putting together programs for these ISOs and agents uh, from a consumer finance uh product perspective and and just so there's no confusion when i talk about consumer finance a lot of times guys think it's merchant cash advance or working capital loans and we're we're not part of that product what we are and what consumer finance is is we go in and work with merchants business owners and set up financing capabilities for them to finance their goods or services so uh that's what we do now. So we've got six or eight different lenders, and we, we have different products for different markets, and it's uh, it's really been exciting. That's awesome. Yeah, I, you know, it's such an exciting space because, you know, I love, like you said, you know, the agents and ISOs are always looking for something that differentiates. And, you know, the one thing that every single merchant wants is more revenue. <laughs> so... You know, yep. if you can provide something that does that. So do this. If you can kind of, you know, walk us through a little bit. I know you kind of gave us a little information there about Surf Credit, but talk a little bit more about the elevator pitch for it. You know, I'm an ISO. I'm an agent. I'm out selling merchants right now. Why should I be interested in consumer finance and specifically Surf Credit uh, to add that to my kind of, you know, offerings? Sure. Absolutely. And, and I'll make one comment. Uh, you know, I feel like the consumer finance industry is where the credit card business was 10 or 15 years ago. So it's ripe for sure. uh, disruption. It's ripe for people that can come in and really uh, generate a lot of business. But, you know, the, the value proposition for ISOs and agents is pretty clear. It, it really gives them the opportunity to offer a unique product that they can prospect with. So, uh you know, if they're cold calling face-to-face, it's a great door opener. If they've got uh, telemarketing or internet marketing, it's a great way to get a business owner 
interested in making more sales, selling bigger tickets, instead of talking to him about saving a few basis points on his credit card processing. So, you know, I'd say the first thing is it's a, a great tool to lead in, uh, to pick up and generate interest. And, and once they've engaged the merchant, you know this, you know, once once you build some rapport, then you can start to talk to them, talk to them about your other products. And that's where merchant processing uh, comes in. And, you know, the, the, the greatest value is certainly, in my opinion, serving your customer. And that's really that merchant or business owner. It's going to give him, you know, the ability to run more spontaneous sales, uh, larger ticket items, more approvals. And we've got some pretty cool programs from a subprime perspective. Uh, so if they've got a, you know, an A, an A finance program in there, like a competitor like Synchrony or Care Credit or Wells Fargo, you know, a lot of our business is, you know, keep that lender in place and we'll come in and we'll, we'll just take those declines. So, hmm. so prospecting, you know, value to the merchant. And then certainly what, what do all ISOs and agents want to do? They want to make more money. So it creates a really good additional revenue stream for their office. And, and depending on the lender, they can pick up anywhere from 50 basis points to 200 basis points for every loan that's funded through that business. So if you've got a, you know, dental provider, large, uh, large dental office or cosmetic surgery financing hundred thousand a month, you know, that the agent's going to make anywhere from 500 to, you know, as high as $2,000, depending on the product every single month that they fund loans with us. Sure. So, so if I'm understanding what you're saying, you're saying from a financial perspective, this is really like an ongoing, just like residual, like agents and ISOs are used to. It's just that instead of it being on, you know, 500 transactions for the month that are you know smaller this is going to be on kind of larger ticket items so there's less transactions but if you're able to make 50 to 200 basis points of markup in in kind of like an ongoing residual every time a consumer needs to borrow money to buy that couch or get that medical procedure done is that is that right that's absolutely correct okay absolutely so just so i i mean and i think i understand this but just for the sure for the less astute amongst us so what you're saying, I go into a furniture store and I want to buy a new love seat, right? I don't have the cash. I may not have any credit on my cards, for example, or available credit. So I am getting extended credit. I'm having a credit extended by that merchant through this program. And then I, yes. I have to qualify as I would for any other, other kind of store credit type of thing. Is there is it an instantaneous sort of approval process, or how does that go? Yeah, it's so depending on the program that the merchant wants to get involved in, it, all of our programs are instant approval. So, okay. well, you know, we've got opportunities to you know pre- present same as cash offers, zero percent offers, uh, you know different terms from 12 to 48 months so we can really help that merchant sell a very low payment. Uh, so we'll sit down and do a needs analysis with them and see who they're using today if they are. And, you know, furniture is a tough market because the furniture uh, furniture has a lot of uh, lending competitors in there. And I'll, I'll talk about some of our best markets here in a minute. But, but it's really easy. They go in, they see what they want to buy. The consumer applies either online, on an iPad, even from their mobile phone. They're instantly approved or declined. Uh, once they're approved, if they want to move forward with the loan and the terms, they electronically sign the loan agreement and the merchant delivers the merchandise and he's funded within 48 hours, just like a credit card. So it's very seamless, it sounds. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so Mark, one other just follow up on that, just to clarify, and you 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 touched on it, but the other question I was going to ask is like hardware or software, like how does this actually work? So, are you saying that like I'm a consumer and I want to apply for this financing? Is there like a sign or a QR code at the counter, and I'm using my phone for this, or is there a terminal that's being used, or how, how's it what's how's it actually working at the counter? Normally, the lender will have an on-site, either a secure link, so the the merchant could have a finance page on their website, so people could could get pre-approved before they come in. Okay. Uh, Maybe they call in, and they could direct them to a a lender-specific secure website where they apply. So most of it's done in the cloud. Uh, It's all via the Internet, so either they've got a, a kiosk, an iPad, or a desktop computer, or their mobile phone. Okay. Uh, and they'll apply right there in the store. They'll grab about, you know, nine to ten pieces of information and do a, you know, a soft pull on their credit report typically. So depending on the lender, we're not even going to affect their credit score. And nice. just to see what they're open, they, they may want to just see what's my open to buy and what, what can I buy today and what would the interest rate look like. It's mm-hmm. so almost like a pre-approval uh, so we can, amount. We can get them. Yeah, yeah, get right. them pre-approved. Then they can start to shop. And then once they've decided what they want to buy, They'll, the lend, the uh, merchant will fill in the final terms of sale, so what the total amount is, the sales tax, less any down payment, and then they'll actually create the loan documents, which is typically in an e-sign format. It'll print out the loan documents. A lot of times, because we're dealing with truth in lending and, and different compliance mm-hmm. issues, right. the lender will, will text them a link, so the customer would get a text right on their phone with all or of an the email. Yep, yep, with yep. all the terms, and then they'll get a copy of the contract, and they'll execute it right there on their phone or at home or right there in the store, and they're ready to go. Hmm. Okay. So, all right, so let's talk a little bit about business types then, because like you mentioned, furniture as one that maybe is a little more competitive. What are the, the business types where you're having a lot of success with this program? Uh, there's several really good verticals that we like to work in, and what I tried to do coming from the merchant services side of the business is develop programs that were really good prospects for merchant services as well. Mm-hmm. So we've had really good traction in home improvement. I mean, anything to do with home improvement. And we actually have our own lending platform as well. So we've got these six or eight different lenders that, that are really picking verticals that they want to play in, but we have a lending platform as well uh, that we support and that we actually own the software to where we can route these loans up to out to up to 11 different lenders. So, hmm. you know, home improvement is a, a that product is a really good uh, fit for home improvement, especially because you have some really high tickets. So anything on home improvement, room additions, outdoor kitchens, roofing, siding, patios, decks. I mean, all that is a really good fit for us. Hmm. Certainly medical dental uh, is a great fit. Those those large tickets like dental sure. implants, you know, elective surgery, uh, weight loss surgery, uh, stent. we even do some regenerative stem cell, which is considered high risk in some markets. So we've got uh, some medical uh, partners that sell into the regenerative stem cell market. And then certainly our, our other big verticals, auto repair. So auto repair is oh, really yeah. nice. Oh, yeah, I hadn't but, thought about that. Yeah, that'd be mm-hmm. a huge one, I would think. Right. Yeah, a lot of people don't have the money if it's a, a un, you know, it's not a predictable expense. They right, go right. in and need their transmission repaired. Hmm. And the auto repair market really doesn't have a lot of financing, so there are some programs out there, but there's still a lot of auto repair 
that have no financing uh, program, and some of them have those no credit check programs, which we don't really offer a no credit check because the rates are so high to the consumer. Mm-hmm. So we have a, you know, our subprime will buy down to about a 550 credit score and still give the consumer a pretty good interest rate hmm. compared to some of those no credit programs. So, right. uh, and then finally, probably our last niche that I would say is, is very, very little competition out there is e-commerce financing. So we actually have two lenders where we can integrate with shopping carts like Shopify, Magento, WooCommerce, wow. uh, and finance online huh. purchases like some of our competitors like Affirm does or PayPal. But we've got, you know, we've got ticket sizes up to $6,500 uh, that we can do in a, you know, card not present, non-face-to-face sure. environment on the financing side. Yeah, I actually saw so something. Kind of the key I- ones. I actually saw something like that uh, when I got my iPad Pro on, uh, I, I bought it from Apple.com and, you know, they had that option kind of built in and, um, and I, I did see that there and I was like, I, I remember kind of thinking about that of, oh, that's, that's actually a pretty neat idea that they have it kind of built right in when I went to, cause, you know, these laptops are ridiculous. I think I spent 3,500 bucks on this thing or something and, you know, and so yeah. it's built right in, Hey, finance it today and you know, whatever. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that, that's a, that's a really neat idea there. Yeah, really, really good market for us, and there aren't aren't a lot of guys or competition in, in that market. I wouldn't think. And then we do some high we do some high risk stuff too, like vocational trade school. You know, most lenders won't touch sure. uh, vocational trade or forex trading or business opportunities or coaching. We can finance all those type of products. We have timeshare debt consolidation. We've got some guys doing real estate training courses and things of that nature as well. Sure. Wow, that's actually really interesting. Um, so, okay, so let me ask you this. I mean, and I think we've already kind of touched on it a couple different ways, but, you know, when we talk about the sales process, so, you know, if I'm a merchant services salesperson today, um, I'm probably either calling and scheduling appointments and going out in the field, or I'm just walking into a business off the street. If, if I hear you saying this right, I think you're saying that this would become kind of my lead in. Is that right? And, and then I would like, you know, once I, I develop the relationship, then I'm also adding on the merchant services. Do you have agents that are doing it any other way? Or are they adding it on after they, you know, existing merchant accounts or what are your, what are your kind of thoughts on where this fits in the sales process? Yeah, I mean, we have agents doing a lot of different ways. I've got some phone rooms uh, using it as an appointment setter. So that's really where I see the most value right mm, now is sure. if we're set, setting appointments or cold calling. It's just, you know, a conversation you can have with that business owner uh, that he's not getting beat up on four or five times a day. So it's a great way to lead in. And then if he decides he wants to move forward with the lending that's when you can ask them, hey, by the way, I'd like to get a copy of your merchant processing statement as well so we can get a feel for what your average tickets look like. Mm-hmm. And then it's a perfect setup. Once I the see. rep gets a copy of their statement, they can provide an, al- an analysis, right? Right. Sure. So, so that's kind of the link that ties these things together is you need to know the average ticket size. And the easiest way to do that is take a look at a credit card statement, processing statement. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Love and it. Then, I, then I have some... Some very creative ISOs and agents also that are packaging their programs. So they might be offering something like cash discounting or a POS system, and they're packaging lending as a bolt-on product. So, Mm -hmm. you know, hey, Mr. Merchant, with our company, you get the free terminal, you get this, you get that, and you also get a consumer finance program. So they they bundle it all into a package that really adds a lot of value 
uh, to the merchants. So a lot of guys are doing it that way as well. Okay. All right, so talk to us a little bit about this this process. I want to start with the the merchant side. Now, if 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 I'm understanding this correctly, I mean, I don't imagine that there's a very intense kind of underwriting process for the merchant because it's the merchant isn't really borrowing any money here. It's the individual consumer. Am I am I wrong about that or what does this process look like for a merchant to sign up? Well, there's still some risk from the merchant perspective like cards. So if you set up a home improvement contractor and he you know, he gets loans uh, and doesn't do the work, and there's complaints later on. Oh, that's there's, true. There still can be, sure. uh, can be an issue with the financing, but it, it's not as restrictive as the credit card business. So sure. the, the only thing that's a little bit different, it, it varies from lender to lender, but the, the one product I talked about that's our platform, uh, virtually 98% of everyone's approved within a day. So that's a very easy uh, easy product to get a merchant started on. Mm-hmm. Most lenders are going to want the business owner to be in business for a year. And typically they want them to be at a minimum of about half a million a year in total revenue. So that's, you know, that's 40,000 a month in revenue. That's not, you know, Nothing most businesses that. are going to meet that requirement. Right. Sure. So, sure. So that's it. They're going to look at their reviews online. We grab a merchant application. Uh, some of the lenders provide, pro, uh, pro, uh, would like one bank statement. Others don't require a bank statement. So it just depends on the lender. And sure. we'll train the agent, uh, the partner, and all the all the criteria. And, and in many cases, we're on the call presenting the product for our ISO or agent because we certainly don't want to uh, and I sort of have to learn eight different banks, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very, you know, can get very confusing with the rates and fees and how it works. So we've got a program where all they have to do is submit a lead online. That lead will come into our inside sales team, and the inside sales team can make the presentation to the merchant with the agent on the phone. You know, they can hear sure. three or four presentations so they're comfortable with it, and we'll actually close the business for them, and they still get full credit, full commission for the sale. Well, let me ask you a question, Mark. So just out of curiosity, percentage-wise, because this kind of goes to the sign-up process for the for the consumer now, um, percentage-wise, like how many of these are happening, you know, in person, like you, there's a tablet or a kiosk or, or even a phone being used, but it's, it's like there's a counter and someone's walking up and then they're doing all of this there versus how much of this is happening through, you know, shopping carts or email or, you know, some kind of online, you know, not present uh, environment? Uh, I, I would say right now 90% of it's face-to-face. Because really? Because the mm-hmm. e-commerce okay. piece is, is new. very, very new. Sure. Right. Yeah, sure. very, sure. very new. And, and we're one of the few that, uh, I, I don't know, very there's very few competitors in the e-commerce space. And, you know, Firm is one of them and certainly PayPal. But, they don't give them the extended, you know, one year, two year terms and those higher tickets. So mm-hmm. most of it, you know, most of our agents that we deal with are out on the street. They've got an existing portfolio of clients. So it, it's mostly face to face right now. And so if I went in and I want to sell an auto repair shop face to face, which I think, like you mentioned, is a good vertical and one that I think a lot of agents could kind of identify with. That's one that they're already walking into. Um how are most auto repair shops presenting this to consumers? Are, do they have like an iPad thing set up or is it like, hey, go to this website and you can do it? Or is there any kind of pattern of like success there of how they're actually presenting it to consumers? 
Yeah, I mean, in our auto repair program, they'll typically do it right there on the counter on their computer, or they could do it on the mobile phone. Okay. Uh, we'll give them all the point. Uh, we'll give them all the point of purchase materials. They've got posters they can hang in the, you know, the facility that'll, you know, depend. We've got two auto programs, so depending on which one's a good fit for them, we also have a dealership program uh, where our providers got over three thousand dealerships. So we really like to work in those service bays of the Nissan, Toyota, Ford, sure. GM dealers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we've got quite a few of those set up. And, you know, all the materials there, the table tents, the marketing, flyers they can hand to the consumer, and that approval is literally can be done within, you know, 60 to 90 seconds. Hmm. And they're approved. They've got an open to buy, and then they can they can move on with the work. Once the work is done, they upload the work order number what they exactly did the clients already signed the loan documents they're out the door with their repair done they're happy uh and then the merchant you know once again is funded in a couple days and and then the lending company will take care of all the monthly statementing and the billing billing and everything to the consumer just like a credit card one other thing i just one more follow-up before i know i want to make sure we share some information about i know a lot of agents and isos are listening to this right now saying like i want to go sell this so i want to get to that one other question i have though is um you know, for for these for these agents that are kind of getting out in the field, you know, uh, have you seen a lot of success with individual agents going out? And what kind of you know what kind of financial? I mean, can you give us uh, any kind of concept of like the financial reward of this? I mean, you know, if I go sell the average, you know, auto repair place that is doing you know fifty sixty thousand dollars a month in total revenue, how much money am I going to make off of an account like that? I know there, there's not like an upfront. Uh, commission, I don't think, right? So it's like a monthly thing. Can you give us maybe just, I know it's very rough estimates because there's going to be different for each one, but can you give us any kind of feel of of the financial reward for this program? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, the good thing is on some of our programs, we do let the reps charge a setup fee. And then a a couple programs, we have a monthly revenue share on a subscription fee. Oh, sure. Uh, Okay. So we've, we've got guys sewing into the, you know, legal, uh, you know, those home improvement, they're charging 99 to 149 a month and they're picking up, you know, six, uh, 50 to $75 a month on the subscription fee. Okay. Mm. They get a, a portion of the setup fee and then they get the basis point. So okay. it, it does vary by vertical, but you know, a good number to use is just say on average a hundred basis points. So you're, you know, what I tell new guys is the goal is to build a lending portfolio, uh, you know, of around a million a month. So if you can get that million a month number hit times 100 basis points, you'll be at the 10,000 a month. Hmm. And, you know, that doesn't happen overnight, of course. Well, of course. It's a lot like our business. But, right. But, you know, the revenue. But it's, it's there. It's possible. If you, It's there. Yeah, if you target the right merchants, and it, it's the same thing on the, you know, the processing side of the business. If you're going to go target hairstylist doing two or three thousand a month it's going to take you a lot longer to build your business than if you're targeting those auto repairs doing 20 30 40 50 thousand a month or restaurants or you know etc that give you the volume so sure that's the where we spend a lot of time but we've got sales scripts for them we've got all the right. editable marketing material for them a full back office all the training uh, everything our partners need to you know hit the ground running Wow, great! What an, what an cool. yeah, what an awesome program. Yeah. Um, so you know, obviously, again, a lot of ISOs and agents are, are waiting to hear how to uh, you know learn more about this. So, where do you send the agents and ISOs if they want to learn more about signing up for the program and participating in it? 
Yeah, please visit our websites. We've got a lot of great information there. It's it's serve credit and it's spelled S U R V credit.com. And there's a partner partners tab up there. Just click that, give us a call, fill out the form. We'll call you within 24 hours and uh, kind of run you through the whole program, send you all the information and, and help you get going. Yeah. And one other thing I'll add to that, Mark, you know, one of the reasons I really wanted to do the interview for this particular episode is because this is airing uh, like, you know, a week or so after Thanksgiving here. So, um, you know, this is the time where it's really, really hard to sell merchant services, um, but this is also the time where it seems to me like this is a program where a lot of places might want to have some finance uh, options set up kind of coming into the new year and stuff. Sure. And so I thought this might be a really good program for some agents that are maybe struggling with merchant services right now. They can, you know, try the surf credit out and, and really probably send you guys a lot of referral leads and stuff as they're, as they're getting their feet wet. Great input. Yeah. And, and, you know, this time of year, the HVAC guys, the plumbing guys, the home improvement guys might not be as busy as they are in the spring. So right. you're right. I mean, now's a perfect time to call those guys with these opportunities. Sure. Plus, ISOs and agents are, are planning for 2019. So this is a great time. We can get your, you know, if you've got reps out there, we can get your whole team trained up and get everyone geared up and going and, and ready to hit 2019 with a vengeance. Awesome. Well, Mark, I can't thank you enough for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, this has been a very interesting interview, and just thanks for, for sharing all the tips, and thanks for all you've done for the industry and the training you provided over the years. Awesome. Well, thank you guys very much for having me. I, I look forward to uh, to being on again someday. Thank That's you very much. Right. Thanks so much, Mark. Thanks, Bye-bye. Mark. Bye. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Green Sheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. Security continues to dominate the news. I thought I'd describe some recent events and trends that impact payments in the merchant space. First up, card skimming. It's going online. There's a new card skimming scheme that doesn't rely on compromised POS devices or ATMs. Instead, this new scheme, known as Megacart, involves the planting of malicious code on the checkout pages of popular websites and stealing card information as it gets entered during the online checkout process. The security firm Symantec found that nearly a quarter of a million of these types of skimming attempts have been made between mid-August and early October, and that over a thousand websites were affected. Among some of the big-name websites that that suffered at the hands of MagaCart include British Airways, Newegg, and Ticketmaster. But smaller sites are being hit also. Shopper Approved, an online um, and e-commerce service that helps websites gather local customer reviews, was hit really hard in mid-October. And I just thought that was really interesting because, you know, this is very, it's not just about, you know, uh, phishing. Right, right. Yeah, and it's funny. I, it's, uh, as you were talking about that, I was like, oh, I really should have called in and had uh, my business partner, Jack, who's our developer, lead developer. Uh-huh. He it talks about this constantly. He's always sending me links to, you know, this security issue the and that security one, issue. The and newest. You know, and I mean, it really, I think, um, you know, as somebody who, you know, again, I'm a, I'm a kind of a closet geek, I like to say. Right. As somebody who does computer programming work, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think people have gotten so used to computers that they've almost, in a way, kind of dumbed them down in their mind. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, do you realize that when you're online and you click a button, 
your computer knows that you clicked that button. Yes, That's it does. how it's able to put that number up there. Uh-huh. And there is code that you can put on a web page that says when a particular button is clicked or when any button is clicked, Capture. I want to I want to record which button was clicked. Right. And so um, it's actually not as difficult as you would think to have a very small snippet of code on a website um, that basically says I want to know all the buttons that were clicked. Right. And so it's not hard to skim a credit card off of that. Um, not at all. Uh, and so where it gets, you know, that's where all the security comes from with the e-commerce stuff. We're talking mm -hmm. about Stripe or whatever is, you know, trying to make sure that, you know, no malicious uh, code right. is able to be put on this, you know, website. Right. And that's where that the hacking is all about how do we take our malicious code and get it onto somebody get else's Get it onto website. somebody else's site. Yeah. And, you know, it's more than a cottage industry anymore. It really is. And that's why, you know, big big players like Stripe, um, and I mean, I shouldn't just say Stripe, I mean, you know, NMI, Authorized.net, mm -hmm. in our industry, sure. that are all making these, you know, iframed or different types of carts mm -hmm. that are basically not part of the page. Right. And they're like on the page, but they look like they're on the they part of the page, like it, right. but they're not because they want to control that environment of where the card is being entered. And so yeah. there's a lot of concerns with that. There's a, there is. So here's another interesting item from north of the border. You know, we talk a lot about merchant compliance with security protocols like PCI, but it's not just merchants who fall sh short on this. A recent government-ordered analysis in Canada found that half of the federal agencies there that accept credit card payments fall short on PCI compliance. <laughs> nice. Isn't that? And the culprit, according to the analysis, is a central IT agency that maintains data systems for most of the agencies. Wow. Yeah. I bet they got a nasty call. <laughs> I bet they did. You know, and the Canadian government says, oh, well, you know, none of the compliance shortcomings have resulted in a data being breached fraudulently used, at least not to their knowledge. <laughs> right, right. Right? Sure. Because, you know, we know that that doesn't mean it's not going to be used because according to a lot of security studies that I've seen, and most notably one done by Verizon, which does a lot of these right. reports every year, 68% of data breaches aren't discovered until months later. And more often, they don't get reported by the by the breach parties. It's by a third party. Right. Yeah. Who the the people involved are not going to want to report it. No. Because you think about it. I mean, the person that that perpetrated the breach, they certainly don't want to announce that they created you know cr committed a criminal act. Right. And, and the, the person that got breached, they don't want to announce it. They don't want to announce it because they've been you know short <laughs> caught short. And uh, sure. and so it's usually the consumer or yeah. or a government agency that comes along and says, "Hey, you screwed up." Right. So uh, I thought that was a very interesting one. That is interesting. It's, it's, it's always interesting to me in our industry when the uh, government feels like they're above the uh, well, yeah, right? the law. Just like in, you know, uh, cash discounting is actually uh, indisputably legal in all 50 states. All 50. By the government. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they surcharge in all 50 states. <laughs> they, they, so. they don't see any problem with it. Right. So uh, here's another one. A big cybersecurity threat to small businesses is how I've tagged this. A new study analyzing cybersecurity threats reveals that 43% of online attacks target U.S. small businesses. And SCORE, the business mentoring organization that conducted the study, warns the problem's only going to get worse in coming years. The most prominent threats, according to SCORE, are macro malware, ransomware, and online banking malware. Now, U.S. small businesses saw 113,000 Incidences of macro malware last year, according to SCORE. Um, now, macro malware is malware that gets implanted in files, most notably Microsoft documents that are sent via email. Sure. 
Now, ransomware is malware that gets downloaded from compromised sites or infected files. And they can result in a business being locked out of its computers until a ransom is paid, generally in cryptocurrencies. Of course. I had a weird dream about this the other night where my <laughs> stuff was being held, you know, captive. Right. Um, You're reading too much about security. I was security. reading too much about security, <laughs> obviously. It's funny how you, you know, it's like, I, now that I think about it, it was the <laughs> night after I wrote this. Right, know? sure. But anyway, according to SCORE, um, U.S. small businesses um, were victims of 54,000 ransomware attacks last year. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. The average amount demanded in these attacks was just under $1,100. But the average overall price tag was a staggering $133,000, which includes the costs associated with downtime, lost opportunity, yeah. recovery process. So online banking uh, malware, which is the third thing that, uh, that SCORE talked about, um, is malicious software that steals banking credentials and or credit card information. The fraudsters use a number of different techniques. Spam and other phishing emails are common. Um, um, typically, these uh, you know, will threaten an account hold if the victim doesn't provide the requested identifying information. Right. Trojan viruses are another method of attack. They attack a victim's computer when they go online to their bank, displaying a dialogue box that requests you know, their usernames and password and then captures that information. And there are also these key logger Trojans, which get triggered when a user logs onto their bank account, much like we were just discussing. Sure, sure. Now, not all attacks are preventable. But SCORE offers two common-sense policies that should keep you and your clients from becoming fraud statistics, or at least help keep you from becoming fraud. Sure. First, and, and both of these are very obvious, I think, you know, avoid downloading attachments from unknown emails. And trust your gut if an email from a known source seems suspicious. I've done this more than a few times with no repercussions. Right. You know, I call a friend and go, look, you know what? I just got this email from you. It didn't look kosher. Right. So I deleted it. Oh, no, Patty, that was, you know... An right. invite for the kids, right? You know, fundraiser. Okay, fine. Send it to me again. Right, and then I'll and then I'll open it. Yeah. Right. Sure. And I think the second thing, which we have heard many times, and it just blows my mind that so few people f follow through on this: disable macros in your Microsoft applications. Sure. Sure. I mean, they're probably the leading delivery mechanism yeah. for malware. <clears throat> yeah, it really, whenever you're, you're allowing a, uh, a Word document to control keyboard uh, actions on your computer, right? you, you, that could be potentially problematic. <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> you know, it's funny, though. One thing that really sticks out about this report to me that uh, we didn't talk about is, uh, I don't know, are you familiar with score.org at all? Have you ever seen their stuff? Yeah. Um, I would actually, like, really, really highly recommend mm -hmm. um, people that are selling merchant services, ISO owners especially, mm -hmm. um, go to score.org. Uh, basically what it is, the best way I could describe it is it is largely a group of retired and successful business people. And security experts. And security experts, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, these are executive business people that have been successful in some way. Right. Who are donating their time for free mm -hmm. to help people like you who are still in business. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. They do an amazing job. They, they really, really do. do. And I think it's a big um, untapped resource. If you really want to, I say this a lot in my training and stuff, but it's like if you really want to make money 
um, as your you know goal is, okay, I'm in business, I want to be profitable. One of the most important things you need to do is surround yourself with people that, that know how to make more than you do. That's right. And score.org is a way you can get that Full for of free. those kind of people, right? Yeah. So yeah. definitely check that out. Um, I've used them several times. So you can either use them remotely like an email kind of Mm-hmm. You know, uh, pen pal, <laughs> right? Uh, and yeah, because they have like like those consultant type. You know, yeah. hey, can I answer your question? Well, what you thing? do, you go in there and you can actually—it's crazy—you can actually search their database and find somebody yeah. that has, you know, like there was what was it? One time I was getting capital for one of my businesses, and I found somebody that had like twenty-five years experience in providing business funding through a bank. Wow, that was retired. Uh huh. And we emailed back and forth three or four days about different things, and well, I came up with a great proposal to get funding. And so, um, you know, I really uh, I like Score.org. Um, one other thing too, just little side tip uh, on the security side um, I would highly highly recommend that you use Gmail or Google apps yes um, I do not now this is terrible because I'm going to jinx myself but um, it is since I started using that I have never had a virus uh, through an email because Google and Gmail they use like a kind of a social network effect mm-hmm. to where if one person marks an email as spam well they have so many people using Gmail that you know when 700 people mark an email right. as spam you know, then the other 50,000 or 400,000 that got that email, those just go right into the spam folder and you never even see it. You know, I, I use um, Gmail almost exclusively for anything financial. Mm-hmm. All my, you know, all my uh, accounts and, yep. and so forth. Because it's like, I know when I go into Gmail, I mean, I go into Yahoo or I go into my regular email account right. and I have to delete 20, 30, 40 yes. messages at a time with Gmail. Take care of it for you. And, and again, care. you know, just to be clear so people understand, I mean, you can use either Google Apps or you can just use like a POP3 account mm-hmm. where like even if you have an email service like your custom domain, right. you know, like mine is james at ccsalesforce.com, but I actually check and respond to those emails through my Gmail inbox. Yeah, I do the same thing. And so you can do that right. in a couple different ways with Google Apps or, or the other way. So, um, yeah, interesting stuff, though, definitely. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by instantquotetool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. Well, this is questions from the field, and I want to talk to you today and kind of answer some questions. Uh, so, Patty, it's been an interesting actual couple weeks for me because we just uh, finished rolling out this uh, six-week jumpstart program, which, to make a long story short, I have all these agents now that are uh, working with me on a weekly basis to go through video training and all this. Uh-huh. So, right. uh, so I've actually gotten some really interesting kind of questions right from the field, literally, as people are out. And, um, you know, one of the questions I've gotten a lot lately is, how do I stay organized um, and make my time more efficient? How can I leverage technology, you know, to mm-hmm. do that? And so I thought I would share a couple of tips that I have given people over the last couple of weeks. Um, the first tip that I will give you is when it comes to a CRM database uh, where you're tracking your prospecting and all of that, you know, number one, you should have one. Right. Um, number two, your CRM database should, you ha- you need to set your CRM database up to answer two questions and only two questions. Question number one is, which business should I walk into or call next? And the second question is, 
what next action steps should I take with my existing pipeline? So there are a couple of habits that are built into this that really, really are helpful. One of them is um, having a system set up to where you know where you're going to go next. There's a couple ways to do this. One of them is um, when you set up your, your CRM database, you should actually store the street name separately from the street number, okay? Um, and this is a concept I don't think I've ever talked about to anybody, actually, um, but it's really, really powerful. And so one of the problems that you know reps have is they'll get a list. Let's say you go to Info USA or uh, Reference USA, which is free through your library. Sure. And they buy a list of 1,000 businesses. Right. Well, that's great. Which one do you go to next? Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is you can do a couple things. You could sort it by zip code. Well, now you're in one zip code. Well, yeah, but that can be pretty big. Yeah. So what works really well is sort it by zip code and then by alphabetically by street name, sure. then by street number. So you're not going down here and then right. a mile back the other direction. Yep. And so you'd be right. really surprised at how efficient that could be then if you go to Google Maps and just print a map out of an area uh-huh. and kind of go street by street right? and just print out all the ones from that street. And it, it'll really help you to kind of see everything there. Um, one of the other things that I think is really powerful, there's a lot of um, inexpensive softwares. Now, I'm trying to remember. I should have got the name of it for this thing. It's called mapanything.com. But there's a mapping software where you can take that list and load it up to a mapping software online, uh-huh. and then it'll just drop a bunch of pins on a map for you. Oh, how nice. And then what you can do is you can just draw a circle around, around which and ones say, you go to. yeah, give, sure. me, give me these, and you could then tag those as, like, already printed or whatever, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and so there's a lot of different things that you can use there um, to kind of organize things in, into a mapping. And so uh, for those of you that are actually out in the field, I would highly encourage you to do a little bit of research about you know, this technology. And even if you're on the phone, it's almost just as important, if not more important, on the phone because you're not going to go to every business. You're going to be calling every business. Right. But it's really important that if you you know if you take a map view, it's really nice because you can just click on one like um, pin, mm-hmm. call that one, then click on the next pin, and, and actually call through the map rather than the list. Uh huh. And then what will happen is you're going to be kind of in one in the area. same area. Sure. Yeah, that helps a lot. I mean, it saves you so much time and and trouble. And so, um, you know, understand there is technology out there that does that. And then the second thing I would tell you is your next action steps. You know, make it a habit. I've mentioned it before, but make it a habit that after every time that you talk to a merchant, uh, whether that's face-to-face or on the phone, determine at that moment, before you move on to anything else, before you check your email, before you go to the next appointment, decide what your next next action step is going to be with that merchant. And a next action step needs to be specific. It needs to be at a specific date and time. Um, and so a next action step is not follow up later to see if they're interested. That right. is not a next that's action not step. not going to help you. A next action step is text follow up Bill tomorrow. at 9.30 a.m. Right. Send a text to Bill. Right. You know, because a lot of times we'll get that thing that says follow up, and then we're like, oh, should I call them? Should I go out there? Should I email? Should I text? You're going to make the best choice in the moment. Right. As soon as you leave the business, that's when you're going to know, you know what? It probably would be better if I actually texted them and then came out or I should come back face to face. Make that decision there on the spot rather than when you're inconvenienced by the decision mm-hmm. and you have a vested interest in staying home and sending them an email. Sure. Right. Versus going face to face. Whereas in the moment you might say, you know, I think I could sell them if I came back face to face. Okay. Then make your next action step right then. And when I say a next action step, I'm talking about a task. Right. So this should be a task at a particular date that has a title that has the notes in it and that's in your CRM. And it should, again, it should pop up and you should see it. And it should pop up. Wouldn't you think it should pop up like on a daily basis? Absolutely. And so the, what I 
I'd like to do is for me, um, I I'm a night owl, and so I like to stay up late. I'm not a big early riser. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to stay up late and work, and then get up at six thirty seven. I'm not like a five a.m. guy. Right. So what I do is um, at nighttime, I'll usually try to take half an hour, an hour, look over my schedule. Mm-hmm. When I was selling, it took me about an hour, I would say, and I actually looked at all my tasks for the next day, right. and then I moved them over into my schedule. Right. Of this is what I'm going to do tomorrow. Then I grab my two hours of prospecting, which we talked about recently. Right. Um, and my have my two hours of prospecting in there, and like, okay, so when is that going to be? When am I doing that two-hour block? Mm-hmm. Um, and you just put all that in there, make your schedule up, and then you get out in the field. And so leveraging technology as well as leveraging kind of character and discipline and structure, um, those two things can make you so much more efficient out in the field. Mm-hmm. My name is James Shepard. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.